0: I wanted to start by mentioning seminary, a um, place where a lot of us have gone, all your pastors. In seminary, I learned about this particular way to write papers that some professors absolutely loved, and actually they demanded them of us. If you have spent any quality time in writing courses, this might be familiar to you, and the practice was, tell me what you're going to tell me, then tell me, and then tell me what you told me. Anybody write that? Yes, I'm getting a few nods. You got that. And preparing for this message today reminded me of that as the epiphany, what we're discussing today with these married gentlemen and our good wise men. The epiphany reminds me of that because it was a story of something that was expected, something that was looked forward to. It was something that came to pass. And then it was for now us, the church, for those of us who follow Jesus and claim Christ as our Lord and Savior The epiphany is something that we remember together every year at this time, shortly after the birth of Christ. But it's also a moment in time that shapes all time, past, present, and future. It isn't just a remembrance for us, so much as it should be a way of living. But before we reveal the epiphany, let us pray. Holy God, you shine your light to cut through the darkness And we thank you, Lord, because we are so often afraid of the dark. Help us to not shy away from your word this night that may illumine us into your light that shines on the path you lay out for us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. So Epiphany, this annual festival in the church, is about what was, what is, and what will be. From the very first manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, those wise men who encounter the baby Jesus. To the ways that a world experienced God's work in the flesh. And now, today and tomorrow, how we continue to see and realize and live out Christ in the world that is yet to come after us. In the short version of the story of the Epiphany, it's about this three wise men. This Bible story, you got these three wise men following a star... And giving gifts to a baby in a manger. And we're going to get to that story. But exploring the meaning of the word epiphany, it's a revelation. A moment in time full of disclosure and discovery and illumination. Just like a star lights up the darkness to guide the way that was before unseen and unknown. The epiphany comes and does the same thing. For us, it is amazing grace. It is blindness Giving over to sight. Epiphany means for us the appearance of the divine. And that is a lot longer of a story that starts way before the year zero where we mark Christ's birth. I'm not going to skip all the way back to when God began what we know of creation. The story of the word that was in the beginning with God. The word with a capital W that is God manifested for us in the flesh of Jesus. Hopefully you made it to a Christmas Eve service and you got to hear that whole story. You got to catch that. I'm only going to go back this evening with you to around the year 970 B.C. We are just shy of about 3,000 years ago. It's when Solomon becomes king. And there's a psalm that may have been written by Solomon or it might have been written about him on the occasion of his coronation. Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God. And your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. And I read this and I think, how long, O oh Lord, I want this king. I want this king to reign. I want all of us who profess Christ to sing and pray like the psalmist does for such a king as this. A king who brings justice and righteousness. Where all other kings, all the nations of the world, defer to him. There's prosperity for the people. And three times the psalmist says that there is a heart and a mercy for the poor and the needy. And there is peace under his reign. What king can do all that? None that I have ever known or read about. This picture of Solomon's expected reign sounds like what we would want. The very best that we could ever ask or hope for or dream of from our worldly ruler. And this king is also highly unlikely to come to pass in the world. This is not our reality, what we read from the psalmist. Solomon is arguably the wisest king the world has ever known in its existence. Unfortunately for the people of Israel, as one united tribe, and then as two divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah, They had a long history of not-so-wise kings, many kings who did not do well in the sight of the Lord, kings who did not lead their people well in God's way. And the people suffered greatly, and they longed for a king that could meet these specific qualifications. God had warned the Hebrews early on when they first begged to be led by a worldly king. He told them that it would not go well for them, and they persisted. But they began to grasp just what that meant as kings mistreated them, dragged them into war, into losing battles, took their resources and their loved ones for their own purposes. And that Old Testament story pretty much sums up what worldly kings look like for the whole of history of the people of the world being ruled by others than God. The people longed to be ruled by someone greater than the world could offer, and we still do We want this Psalm 72 king to be realized in the world. But we keep looking to men and women to do that. You know, some are okay, some are good, many not so good. In the big picture, beyond our own small lives, in this longing that the people felt and that we still feel, there's a hidden truth that the people knew better was a possibility Our alpha class that we have here, that's our sort of our Christianity 101, it always asks the question, is there more to life than this? And the answer is yes, there is. But we have forgotten, and we keep trying to make up our own answers. We keep trying to find our own solutions in the world. In the ancient of days, we had such a ruler. We had our divine king, God, whose word and law and rule were perfect, and whose will is for us to have these things that the psalmist speaks of, justice, righteousness, mercy, prosperity, peace, not just for you and your family right now, just not for me and my family right now, but for all of God's people in all places for all times. In the beginning, this is God's plan, life, perfect life and provision, united with one another and united with God in loving relationship, a garden of Eden We call it now. This epiphany, that perfect place, has already happened. We know it to be true. Pretty much since we were evicted from that perfect paradise, we've been trying to get it back in a lot of different ways. We make sacrifices to God. We have begged God for forgiveness. We have tried to do a lot of good works to earn God's favor. Or we try to create our own way. We assert our own will in the world. Paradise is something that humankind has been trying to recreate in our image for millennia. Utopias, humanism, communism, socialism, ideal societies. Churches have been trying to do it since the book of Acts. And failing since the first get-go. Even living off the grid... Or having a private island hasn't worked, although a private island sounds kind of nice sometimes. But that perfect ideal society is a dream made up by people still asking the question, is there more to life than this? Deciding yes, and then also thinking that, well, I can make that happen. Or maybe, maybe if I pick Jim, Jim can make that happen for me. But the problem continues to be we serve our egos, we serve our fears, when we try to take over God's job of leading us, of being the ruler over our lives and over the world. History, old and new, is full of stories of kingdoms on earth created to be better. And they often are, but really just for the people who are running them. God saw the writing on the wall way before we did, that we humans are never going to make perfection happen. We are selfish. We are greedy. We don't even remember our kindergarten lesson that it is good and right to share and to help other people. Prophets speak about our failings all the time how the people of God were messing up, getting it wrong, missing the whole point. An Old Testament prophecy told of a Messiah yet to be, the Christ that was to come in the world, a Savior King, not one that we appointed but one that God sent, a Savior King who will rescue the people that he rules from the brokenness of existence. That will be better. That will be getting it right. The darkness that we live in that has overcome the world with human efforts will be overcome. All of our attempts to live well together, to save ourselves from the pain and suffering and death that are our constant companions, that Savior King will heal One such prophecy was likely written during or after the Babylonian exile. Once again, a worldly ruler led his people into landing into exile from their homeland. The people have been judged and punished, and now restoration is at hand. This prophet who writes this in Isaiah is among Jews moving toward a right relationship with God again, a more hopeful look, but still there's a perspective that Gets in its worldview that there is more to life than this, this worldly struggle that we know. It writes, Isaiah writes, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. That last sentence hopefully sounds a little bit familiar. We're starting to get closer to the Epiphany story that we know. But in this passage, it is acknowledged that darkness is a reality, but the light will come, and with it, an abundance. And a wealth. Something different is going on in the thinking of this prophet. A light bulb is going off in the prophet's head. This goodness that the people seek is possible. Their hope is restored, but only through the glory of God, not of man. Things have been bad for them, really bad. They have been evicted from their land and everything they knew, all was lost. And there are strangers in a strange land with new language, new culture, new religious practices. But the capital L, Lord, has risen. He arises and he is the light coming into the world to overcome its darkness, our darkness. The whole world in this prophecy is drawn to such wonder. Kings and nations coming together to this light. As the Israel nation is restored after exile, they're supposed to be that light for the world. The faithful, and now the church, is supposed to be this light that the prophecy speaks of, shining for the whole world to see beyond the dark times and its dark ways. And I think in many ways, our light is a little bit dim. But fortunately for us, the prophecy speaks of an even greater restoration. Not of the king that was, not of the former glory of the faithful, but of God's kingdom to come. And over 5,000 years before the gospel stories that we know and love, there is a very specific picture of gifts brought to proclaim praise to the Lord. The Lord that will for centuries to follow, draw people to him, gather people into his light and his glory to praise him. This epiphany has already happened, and we know it to be true. And when the light comes and God's glory appears once more fully in the lands, all things become new. The old ways, the old failures, they give way to the coming of something new, a New Testament. Even in the darkness and destructive nature of a broken world, this miracle happens. And word gets out. This revelation that happens in the Epiphany cannot be contained with one small Middle Eastern nation in one humble birth. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, "'Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage.'" On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Herod, here we have another king, but he is afraid for good reason. His, again, is the way of the world and darkness. Herod is known to be a great builder who brought prosperity to the land, but he, again, was not a faithful king, and he was not wise. I hear God saying in my head, I knew Solomon, and you were no Solomon. Herod was not obedient to God and did not follow the Jewish law well. History describes him as mentally unstable, prone to violence and deception, suspicion and jealousy. And a little boy, barely two, terrifies him. Herod feels a threat to his power, and he incites the people's fear. He uses the religious leaders for his selfish purpose in overcoming this perceived threat. One thing he does know, his time will come to an end, and he clings to it desperately. And here come the wise men, the ones who come in wisdom, welcome this epiphany from God. They are the truth made known of the prophecy. Darkness is all around them, but they see the light that has risen. They see it in a star. They see it in a child with his mother. And this light is eternal. This ruler will lead forever. This epiphany has already happened, and we know it to be true. And so for us, it begins. People start to follow Jesus. Before he can even speak a word, he still is the word. The word that creates. A word that brings new life out of nothing. And even better for us today, it is a word that brings new life out of our old lives. Of sin and fear and separation. The first followers of Jesus, beginning with a few foreigners, overcoming the pressure of the ways of the world, Them and millions to follow, speaking and living a gospel message. The truest followers, those disciples and apostles who actually shared life with Jesus and who share Jesus with every moment of their lives now. The epiphany is the promise of more to life than what this world can deliver to us. It is deliverance itself from punishment and death from our sinful natures. It is life restored and relationship with God reconciled. The epiphany is that we are created in God's very perfect image and we can be healed. We can be made whole again because God loves us and makes all things new. It is the life and very being of Jesus who shows us another way that we can resist the temptation to sin That we can say no to a world that pulls us away from God and his will for our lives. And we can choose to live obediently according to his commandments to love. This truth is so great and so beautiful, we cannot keep it to ourselves. It is so pure and perfect that many become living sacrifices for it. Giving up comforts, luxuries, career, family, freedom. Paul writes in Ephesians, This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant, according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power, although I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. This epiphany has already happened, and we know it to be true. Paul saw the divine light that took him out of the world's dark blindness, illuminating his mind and his spirit so that he was in Christ, and Christ was in him so that he could pour Christ out into the world, even if that world for Paul was sometimes the confines of a prison cell. We, each one of us, has known what it's like, in some capacity or another, to live in darkness. To be apart, to be without, to know sorrow and pain and suffering of many kinds. And each one of us has the gift of this epiphany we know to be true. God has revealed himself more fully through Jesus Christ than the world ever knew since the exile from the Garden of Eden. God proves his extravagant love over and over again to us as he forgives our sins while we were still sinners and by coming into the world as Jesus. Now is the time of our epiphany living. What epiphany epiphany ultimately means for us is the manifestation in our lives of what is brought to life in Christ. That Christ-born, not just the cute baby Jesus born 2,000 years ago, but born in us to bear in the world. His light shining into us, the light the world needs for us us to shine as we live in it. Having an epiphany is to know. In today's language, we say we are woke. Knowing doesn't make it easier, but it does make it more wonderful. Wonderful. It makes it harder. It is liberating to know that not a single one of us is the Savior of the world. God has taken care of that. But this knowledge that we have, these truths revealed to us are a privilege and a responsibility. What has been disclosed to us by Christ, we must disclose in the world. What we've discovered by encountering Christ, we must reveal in awe and wonder like seeing a newborn child, it is up to us to show it off, to take it out into the world and introduce it to the world with pride, like you would a newborn child. To be a chip off the old block and actually live like the image of God created within us. So that with every word we speak or write, with every decision that we make, with every action we take, we reveal the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Reigning forever and perfectly in us. We know from one of our epiphanies that Christ already has gold and frankincense and myrrh. He does not need earthly treasures. What he really needs now from us, from each of you, is the gift that he first gives you and only asks in return that you share it. Reveal his love and see how the kingdom of God draws near. Be the epiphany. Let us pray. Holy God, in your marvelous light, help us to walk. Let us, God, hear your word that reveals your truth to us, a truth of grace and mercy, a truth of pure and perfect love poured out for us even in our messiness. Help us, God, to be illumined. Make our paths clear so that as we go out in the world following your light, It may be your light that we bear. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.